Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game and has just bought two genuine tear-stained tissues from Lionel Messi on eBay. <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm Kevin Day, laughing boy in the background is Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. I, Kieran, I hope they're genuine tissues. I'm, I'm getting a bit worried that at Lionel Messi PSG Spain may be a chance. He's only, <laughs> he's, he's only got 96 followers. Yeah. What an emotional farewell the billionaire Lionel Messi paid to the club that made him a billionaire as he went to the club that will make him another billionaire and how odd that he's always wanted to play for PSG anyway um, <laughs> now Kieran we were so intrigued about a recent mention of Channel Islands football on the pod that we uh, arranged to speak to Ian Horswell who's chief executive of Combined Counties Football League side Jersey Bulls they're in the ninth level of the English Pyramid, the first Jersey club to be in the English Pyramid, um, and we had a very, very interesting and somewhat eye-opening chat with Ian, which is coming up. But before that interview, we have some news, and Kieran, um, you've been indulging in your favourite pastime, you've been number-crunching the Premier League's finances. Uh, y- yes, I have, because now that we have a full complement of accounts, it's it's that time of the year where I, I start designing the, the, the next set of... Uh, Price of football top trumps cards. Um, <laughs> those went down well last year. <laughs> Nobody wants any of last year's. Oh, yeah. Um, actually, I have to say, they're very comfortable. I'm sitting on a pile of them as we speak. So, yeah. <laughs> um, just, just to sort of see the, uh, the first impact of COVID as far as uh, the Premier League as a whole was concerned. And it, it's, you know, e- even though... Uh, COVID only started in March and therefore it impacted upon you know, the last few games of the season. It was still quite substantial. Overall, uh, £633 million less was generated in, in uh, 2019-20 compared to mm. the previous season. And that's that's the first time the Premier League's had a reduction in revenue so effectively in its history. So um, it, was, it was tough for the clubs. And, and I know that people were saying, you know, should the Premier League be... Uh, giving more support to to other parts of football, and you know, I, I think it's it's our belief that they should do. Yeah, but they 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 struggled themselves. Um, if, if you took a look at the total losses that the the Premier League clubs, it was only it was only Sheffield United that made any noticeable profit, um, and uh, overall the losses exceeded a billion pounds. Now they managed to get some of those losses down through player sales, but even so, it was uh, you know. We, we, we've spoken about our clubs and the fact that you know Brighton lost you know, close to seventy million, Palace lost a you know, pl- plenty as well, mm. and 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 we just blinked. Yeah, we just we didn't even get upset by it because yeah, yeah. by that stage we'd become we'd become so familiar with clubs announcing eye watering losses that we thought, oh, that's actually not too bad. Uh, yeah. And uh, you know, it's 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 a very very strange set of circumstances that we find ourselves in. 
And I still think it's amazing that with the exception of, of Macclesfield Town, whose demise wasn't to do with COVID, um, that we've managed to get through from from then to now with no casualties. Well, I, I think that's one of the reasons why people are uh, sanguine about the losses, because th- there was a time right at the start of COVID when uh, we predicted that possibly 30 or 40 clubs could, could go to the wall because their finances were already precarious. And I think when you say to a Palace fan or a Brighton fan, we've only lost 50 million quid, it's because there was a chance that we could have lost the club, even yes. the Premier League club. So I think that's that's sort of why people are not dropping their jaws at these figures. The Sheffield United one is really interesting. It, why were they the only club to make a product? Is that because they were financially very well run or was it the massive feel-good factor of, of promotion to the Premier League just increasing their revenues hugely? Well, it, it was their first season in the Premier League. Yeah. And if you think about it, Chris Wilder kept faith with a large number of the squad that had brought them into uh, the, the top tier. So whilst those players would have had step-ups in terms of, of their contracts, they weren't having to bring in players who are on the you know 40 to 50 grand a week, which is the, the norm in the Premier League. Mm. Um, and also, uh, Sheffield United had a fantastic first season. So they benefited from finishing in the top half of the Premier League. And remember, you get an extra £2 million per place. So, you know, if, if we're honest, I think a lot of people thought, you know, will, will they be a one-season yeah. uh, wonder? And, and they'll go down. If they break even, then fine. But, uh, you know, I think they finished ninth uh, in, in that first season. So that was worth you know, an extra over £20 million. And because they, they were playing good football as well, they appeared on a few more occasions on TV and you get you get bonuses for that. So it, it was it was pretty good. And of course, you know, the following season, I, I suspect they they will have made substantial losses because they went out into the, the transfer market and you know the co- their cost went up and, and the revenues will have been hit because no match day for the full season and a lot less TV money on, on, the, on the back of, of being relegated. Do you think, Kieran, that Premier League clubs and others will be using COVID as an excuse? They'll be brushing financial misdemeanours under the COVID carpet for for some years to come. Yeah, it, it, it's uh, it, it's a convenient excuse. Um, although, in my view, that they 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 needed to have been cutting back before uh, COVID anyway, because the the Premier League was was getting a little bit frothy. Uh, in terms of costs were continuing to go up, wages and transfer spends were were continually rising. Um, and to a certain extent, I think we've reached peak Premier League. Uh, you know, we, we saw the value of the domestic TV deal fall uh, in, in, the, in, the, in, in the most you know, in the deal that we're presently in. Um, and that there's there's little opportunity for for significant growth going going forwards because it's it's it takes time to make the stadiums bigger or move to a new stadium so you know if you want to increase your match day um the the commercial partners they've now reached a, peak, you know, a position where uh you know in, in a post covid environment do they are they really getting value for money splashing splashing the names of of their products across shirts and tv um you know they're, they're not bringing in new subscribers to, to mm. TV, and, it, and it's a case of well, we have to uh, we have to be careful about not losing our existing ones, and we can't therefore necessarily afford to 
increase the price of uh, subscriptions. You know, I I always uh, I I get a, um, I'm not advertising here. I always get the Now TV season ticket for sport, and and that's two hundred quid a year. If they if they increased the price of that, um, I, I'd probably turn it down. So uh, I, I think everybody connected with the sport is now realizing how are we going to generate additional money. Um, at the same time, costs are going up because you don't want to lose your star players or you do want to recruit good ones. Yeah, you enjoy your annual game of brinkmanship with Now TV, don't you? Uh, well, yes. I mean, and, uh, you know, if, if, if you wait and wait, they, they will always come up with, with a good offer. And, and I think, you know, people have got to be prepared to try to negotiate good deals. You know, I'm, I'm, whilst, whilst I do that as far as, you know, football and TV is concerned. I, I should be doing it on other aspects of life, but uh, I just, you know, like most people, got better things to do with my time. Yeah, well, see, un- unfortunately, one of the uh, very many financial idiocies I have is that Ali will say, "No, no, these people, they'll give you a better deal if you wait." Yeah. And I just go, I just tick the top box. I just go, oh, that, "That looks good. You get everything on that one." She says, "You don't like horror films. Why are you going for the horror channel as well?" Just, no, it's just easier. Just have everything. Um, now, I've asked producer guy to to add a fanfare after this, or possibly a heavenly choir, or possibly a swan, <laughs> possibly a swanny whistle. I don't know. Um, but Newcastle United have filed their accounts for twenty nineteen twenty. Hallelujah! Yes, um, it's it, Mike Ashley is like that child at school who's always late with his homework and um it, it's it's uh it, it's fr- it's frustrating because um you know if, if they if they'd submitted them a few weeks earlier it it wouldn't have made a blind bit of difference uh, it would have simply allowed me to uh, get my spreadsheet more up to date which which I enjoy doing but but for for a man who has been criticizing the premier league for a lack of transparency yeah you know, why is it that newcastle united are uh, normally twentieth out of twenty uh, in terms of clubs that publish their announce their accounts, or nineteenth. You know, so it's it, uh, and and this is this is part of the the mystery. I think of, of Mike Ashley is is a very very smart bloke. You know, I, I know people that have done have done done business with him, and they say you know his, his ability to to crunch the numbers in his head uh, is absolutely amazing, second mm. to none in, in many regards. But he, his his sort of love hate relationship with transparency is 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 a frustrating one. So so in terms of of Newcastle, um, they they did lose uh, money, but they here we go. They only lost half a million pounds a week, and, and we think, oh, that's actually really good. Yeah, and yeah. and th- that's that's again is part of uh, the position that we we find ourselves in. Um, there there were some. Uh, unusual nuggets in in that the uh, the, the chief executive's pay uh, that that nearly trebled. It went from two hundred and sixty seven to six hundred and seventy five grand uh, for the year. Although by by Premier League standards, that's that's actually quite quite low. Is it? Um, so six hundred and seventy five a year. That's low. That's low. Yeah, yeah. You, you, there's there's. Uh, the, the the business side of football, if I'm honest, doesn't actually pay particularly well. If, if you're if you're working in sort of you know part, many of the backroom uh, areas of, of the game, but chief executives, they, they some of them are on extremely good wedges. Uh, you know, there's, there's quite a few on two million plus these days, 
Um, and uh, yeah, they'll argue with, with some justification that it's a multi-million pound industry and, and they should be yeah, paid accordingly. Um, and also um, that headhunting does take place. So you know, sometimes you have to pay somebody a lot of money to, to prevent him from going to another club. Um, yeah, but in general, though, apart from that, uh, not as eye-watering as I thought it was amount of money for the chief exec, Newcastle's accounts were, were no better or no worse than most clubs in the Premier League and what you'd expect after the time we've been having. Yes. Yeah, uh, yeah they're, they're, they're solid enough. Uh, you know, pay, pay did go up. You know, the wage bill went up quite quite considerably, but... Uh, you know, an, an extra twenty million pounds on the wage bill, but you've got some players renewing their contracts. You've got uh, a, you know a few players coming in. Um, the the one thing which which really hit me, um, and I, I think this is indicative. This this is textbook Mike Ashley. Uh, if if you're about to sell your house, the mm. last thing you do is you know stick in a new bathroom or kitchen or whatever. Um, and if you take a look at the amount of money that was spent. On the facility, so, so we're talking the training facilities, the office, yeah, you know, the offices that they occupy, um, and the ground itself. He spent two hundred grand, which was a tenth of the amount of the club that was nineteenth in the table of, of infrastructure spend. Wow. And of course, you've got you at some clubs spending yeah, spending millions upon millions. Um, and, and over the the past three years, he spent just over a million. So clearly, it, Mike Ashley, what he's trying to do is. You know, it, it's a bit like when I, uh, you know, not that I would ever do this, of course, you know, I look at the tyres on the car and say, mm, yeah, can I get another, you know, can I get another 5,000 miles out of them before I, uh, you know, nip, nip down to, uh, you know, quick fit or wherever it's going to be. Um, and uh, you do that when you think, well, yeah, it would be probably more sensible to to get new tyres now. Just, you know, it, it's, it's better to be safe than sorry. Hmm. So uh, it, it's very clear that the, the spend on, the club and uh, you know, I, I know Newcastle fans have commented it. Yeah, it, it's starting to look a bit shabby, and, and we've also, uh, yeah, we, we've also commented ourselves about Old Trafford. You know, yeah, why is yeah, it, yeah. it? Yes, it's the theatre of dreams. Yes, it's iconic. You go inside, it's shabby. Yeah. And uh, under Mike Ashley, the, the money that's being spent on the ground is is the bare minimum. And uh, it means that whoever inherits the club is is going to have to go and spend that money themselves. Yeah, no, a lot of Newcastle fans would have had uh, a springing their step for about three seconds this week when they saw the headline, Mike Ashley resigns. But it, he's, he's resigned from his own company, Sports Direct. Will, will that have any effect? I mean, it's an odd thing to think about, resigning from your own company in the first place. But will that have any in- impact on his, his role at Newcastle United? I don't think so because uh, he he effectively delegates everything at Newcastle United to Lee Charnley, who's the chief exec. So right, okay. um, y- yes, he will be consulted if uh, if money needs to be spent, but yet he's still owed. He's still owed. I think it's, it's 107 million pounds now uh, by the club. It was 152 uh, as recently as, as 2017. So, uh, you know, where, where there's an opportunity to to slightly nudge down the amount of money that's owed to him, that, that is taken. At the same time, um, you know, that money is lent interest-free, uh, whereas if we compare that to uh, David Golden, David Sullivan at West Ham, you know, they're charging interest on it. So, you know, he's, he's not extracting money from the club in that way. 
Um, although his critics will say such is the very close link between Newcastle and Sports Direct that the club is getting. Remember, he, he tried to rename St James's Park, yeah, didn't he, yeah. the Sports Direct Arena, and yeah. that was yeah, even by his standards of uh, having a tin ear, uh, that was spectacularly bad, and that was, that got reversed very quickly. Um, but uh, you know, Sports Direct does benefit from its association with. Uh, with uh, Newcastle United, although uh, yeah, I, I think that that relationship is going to uh, continue to diminish, um, and as certainly as soon as Mike Ashley goes, I would imagine the new owners would would want to terminate that uh, immediately. Mm. This is an interesting one, uh, slightly odd as well. An investigation by Al Jazeera has found that offshore trusts can disguise people with criminal convictions who want to invest in football. And I presume we're not talking fake moustaches here, are we? No, no. This is um, this is uh, a, a documentary which has been put out by uh, the Al Jazeera I unit, uh, their investigations unit. Uh, and you know, I, I'm, I'm going to hold my hands up here. Um, I've been involved with this uh, in the sense that they 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 brought me in to to comment about six months ago mm. um, in, in terms of the the footage that has been taken um, and and the comments that have come in. Now I'm going to choose my words very carefully because um, in order to get the show out, it clearly had to go through the lawyers. Yeah, and I've also seen probably about three times as much as went out because. Uh, you know, the, the lawyers would say, you know, but get, get, they get out their big black felt tip pens and say, no, you can't say that, you can't. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Um, but this this really focused around um, a, a, for want of a better word, a, a broker, a, a guy called Chris Samuelson, who has been connected with clubs. Uh, you know, he, he has been on the board of a couple of football clubs and, and uh, he is known uh, within the industry. Um and uh, at one stage, he was uh, trying to uh, get some involvement in, in terms of, of the of the sale of our favourite club, Derby County. Um, but there's been nothing untoward uh, from the Derby County side. Um, in, in respect to Chris Samuelson, um, it was uh, effectively it was a, the equivalent of a fake shake uh, uh, right. undercover sting, in the sense that uh, there were. Two uh, two reporters who claimed to be operating um, on behalf of uh, Mr. X, and and you can't you know you, you can't have a, a proper documentary unless you've got a, a really good Mr. X. Absolutely. Um, and Mr. X had been uh, had been uh, sentenced in in absentia in, in Asia for uh, yeah, money laundering and bribery bribery activities by a government, um, and he wanted to. Uh, he, he wanted to acquire a football club, and for, you know the purposes behind he wanting to buy those football clubs, they were yeah, they, they were sort of you know, they were hinted at, shall we say? Um, and uh, you know the, the the footage of of Chris Samuelson uh, indicated that he, he did not see this as being a problem, right. and it was uh, he, he was also had a a, uh, a person that, that he works with who is a former. Uh, former detective in the Met who runs a private detective agency or an investigations agency, and uh, you know, they're, they're sort of the there were things such as well, you know, if, if there's a problem with the identity of the person, we can arrange offshore offshore trusts, um, but we can also get involved with potentially the uh, 
the Cypriot uh, government. Now that there have been, there's been some really big issues, and, and I I've taught in Cyprus for mm. around about fifteen years, and uh, yeah, I've, I've not been there since COVID, of course. Um, but um, yeah, Cyprus has a a fair, and, and you and you can't defame a country, so I can say this. Um, Cyprus has a fairly uh, relaxed approach to uh, issuing passports yeah, uh, if, more, um, if you have the right connections. Yeah, Malta um, as well. It's um, a, a similar attitude. It's very easy to get a, a Maltese identity as well. Yes. Yeah. 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 And uh, therefore, um, yeah, Mr. X could potentially take on the identity of, of somebody from Cyprus and uh, the uh, the people involved seem to think that therefore passing the the owners and directors test would would not be an issue. Right. So it, it's uh, it, it's it's intriguing stuff. Uh, it, it does show the length that that some people are willing to go to to circumvent the rules which are there to protect the game, and also I, I do think it shows that uh, you know the, the Premier League and the EFL have a really challenging job because you've got to operate in, in to a certain extent in good faith. And whilst there are people around who, whose approach is to, um, you know, see, see rules as, uh, as, as a challenge rather than something to be, uh, to be complied with. Um, it's, uh, it, it's, it's going to make their job more difficult. So, um, you know, I'm, I, I would recommend people have a look on it. They can see it on, on YouTube. Uh, it is called, I think it's called the, the men who buy football clubs or, um, and I, you know, I'm, I'm not being paid by Al Jazeera to advertise it, but, but you know, I, I was asked and, and other people have been asked, I think it's a guy from transparency international. Mm. Um, it's, uh, it's it, it, it's murky stuff, and you know we 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 know murky in football, don't we? We do, yeah. We're we're still negotiating with with the EFL to get a senior executive from there to to come and chat to us. Uh, they're very willing to do so as a as a body, but individually they seem to be finding it to get someone to volunteer. Um, but that will be a question we certainly will put to them if we if we do get to speak to them. Uh, Real Madrid have kicked off their legal fights against the big La Liga investment deal we discussed last week, which sounds like good news for Nuestros Amigos de Lengua Plateada. <laughs> or, uh, or if, the lawyer, if the lawyers are women, Nuestras Amigas de Lengua Plateada. Anyway, so it's that hasn't taken long, has it? As you predicted last week, This we talked about this huge investment deal and it hasn't taken long for Real Madrid to kick back. Yes, yes, and, and I'm not hugely surprised uh, by that. Um, La Liga uh, negotiated. I, th- I think there were about twelve clubs that were involved with yeah. the with this deal with uh, CBC. Uh, it's worth uh, two point seven billion euro, and uh, it, it looks as if the, the the bigger clubs, the likes of Barcelona and Real Madrid, yeah, they, they would have had a, a significant slice of this. You know, around about two hundred and fifty million euro each, which would have dug uh, them out of, of a hole. Although yeah. my understanding from from looking at uh, the small print that um, relatively little of that would have flowed through into the uh, the, the financial fair play variant that they use in uh, uh, in Spain. But certainly from a cash flow point of view, it would have been beneficial. Um, as as we feared, uh, the the relationships between uh, Tevez and Perez, uh, Tevez who is, is head of La Liga, and uh, Perez who's head of Real Madrid, 
that that relationship is not good because La Liga were opposed to Super League and uh, Florentino Perez still claims it's going to save football uh, yeah. by 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 giving more money to his club, um, <laughs> and and that's the, that's a bit yeah you know, I'm. I, I'm. I try to be as objective as I can because I deal with numbers. And I say, well, giving one person a lot of money, how does that benefit everybody else in society? And this is this is what's called trickle down economics. Indeed, uh, and yes. uh, and uh, and to date, there is no evidence to back up that it works. I'm not, but it doesn't mean that at some point in the future, giving Real Madrid a lot more money won't benefit. Uh, won't benefit Exeter Town, but we've we've not that that link at, at present seems to be a bit tenuous. So. Mm. Um, Real Madrid uh, are taking legal action. They say they weren't involved in the discussions, and they also believe that the uh, the the deal undervalues La Liga. Um, and, I, and I did see one report that uh, actually it, it's ten percent of the broadcast and commercial income for fifty years. And under those circumstances, well, yeah, let's face it. Yeah, you and I aren't going to be hosting this pod in fifty years, or if we are, uh, we will be cryogenically preserved <laughs> when we do it. Um, which, which will be interesting, <laughs> um, but we'll, we'll, ha- we'll I, I, I can see that you know is is that number is that number too low? Uh, but uh, Italian football turned down an offer of around about half the amount. Mm. Uh, the Bundesliga they had discussions with private equity and, and they turned it down as well. Uh, you know, is it that is it that this is a much better deal, or is it that Spanish football is more desperate? Um, you know, pr- private equity companies. Don't have a reputation for being, uh, you know, fun, fun-loving guys in in terms of of looking after people. So, uh, you know, the, 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 uh, caution. Uh, I, I, w- I would certainly promote there. Yeah. Um, uh, yes, Exeter City fans. Kieran did say Exeter Town. Oh, sorry, sorry. Uh, Exeter that's City. fine. He's a Kieran's a very busy man. He's got a lot of thoughts in his head. He doesn't drink, so he gets confused occasionally. <laughs> uh, don't tweet. We do know. Um, and a final news story, Kieran, before our interview with Ian from the Jersey Bulls. Uh, Borussia Dortmund made a big loss in 21, uh, 2021. Yeah, I, th- I think this is interesting in that they are the, the first football club to, to publish uh, a full set of accounts for, for 2020-21. And that is, yeah, that is remarkably quick, yeah. uh, you know, given that... Uh, uh, there's, there's there's at least one club I can think of in the East Midlands that hasn't published anything since 2018. Um, um, I'm sorry, are, are German clubs prone to uh, publish their accounts earlier? Are the rules in Germany any different? Um, I, I, I think there's a bit more pressure on them, um, and you know I, I don't want to go down the route of you know German efficiency. Well, what do we expect here? Yeah, yeah. Um, because that's that's just that's just lazy of me. But uh, yeah. I, I've said it anyway. Um, but it, I think it was intriguing that uh, Dortmund did did make, uh, I think it was around about 70 million euro of losses. But what have they done since those accounts have come out that they've sold Jaden Sancho? And, and that's effectively, you know, you know t- taken a huge chunk off those mm-hmm. losses. Um, but the, the impact of COVID is, uh, is significant. Um, they they make around about six hundred thousand euro a match from catering, uh, which is phenomenal. But then you think, well, hold on, you know, I, I, I've 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 been to to Germany to watch football, yeah. um, and boy, can they drink, you know, and 
they they know they know how to knock it back. So so perhaps uh, that isn't an unrealistic sum, uh, but but it uh, it does show that uh, you know the club is very efficient at making match day as lucrative as possible. You take away match day, and clearly the club's going to be hit. Yeah, I'm I'm happy to say, Kieran, that the German games I've been to, even the drinking has been done efficiently. Uh, I I admire the way, that, especially Union Berlin. It's an incredible operation. Uh, the, way they, the way they got twelve pints inside them before, <laughs> during, and after the game, and tidied up after themselves, and uh, gave the bottles to homeless charities because you still get deposits on bottles there. Brilliant. Um, yeah, it's very very good. Now I, I love German fan culture. Absolutely uh, love it. it. Do you know it's absolutely it's really interesting when you talk to German fans because they. They always say it's a, it's a homage, if you like, to English fan culture from the seventies and eighties that they grew up with. But my God, I, I wish football had been half as much fun in the seventies and eighties as, <laughs> yes. as, as they seem to think it was, because they've, <laughs> yeah. they've distilled all the good bits and got rid of the bad bits. It's, I, I'd, anybody who ever gets a chance and and is able to financially should try and get to a German football game at, at one stage in their life. It, even simple things like the the ticket for the game including public transport to the game as well it's just it's a brilliant fan culture Uh, now Kieran we had a question as you remember on our last pod about Jersey Bulls who currently reside in the ninth tier of the English football pyramid and it led to a surprising amount of discussion on social media about football in the Channel Islands so for answers we went straight to the horse's mouth the bull's mouth and we spoke to Chief Executive Ian Horswell, uh, and I started with a very important historical question. Ian, thank you so much for joining us. It's lovely to talk to you. But first of all, can I just check something? Has anyone in your family ever been a sheriff on the island and had a run-in with a chippy South Londoner? Um, the answer, and, and good morning, guys. Uh, the answer to that is no. Um, I'm not sure what, what what badge he was wearing, saying he's a sheriff. Um, we 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 have honorary police over here in Jersey, which sounded like they're the kind of guys that would be checking your bushes, so to speak. So uh, I think it was one of those guys that you uh, probably had the run in with. Well, welcome, welcome to the pod with a checking the bush joke straight away. In thank you. That's uh, I'm I'm even more worried now that I might have been taken in by a bloke claiming to be a sheriff, not even a real sheriff. That's terrible. That's highly uh, possible. Ian, we talked to you in a, in a week of football history. Last Saturday, the FA Cup came to the island for the first time ever, and you became the first club in 75 years to score 10 goals on their cup debut. Talk us through the day. That sounds amazing. Yes, it, it was really was amazing, Kevin. Um, but for more ways than one, um, we hadn't played at home in Jersey for over 500 days. The last fixture oh, was the 7th of March 2020 wow. on the day that we sort of sealed mathematically promotion to the next league. Mm. Um, but we'll touch on that one later. Yeah, and so for all the fans to come back, um, it was just an incredible moment to have fans back after, you know, that song, such a long absence. Mm. Um COVID has has obviously been problematic globally. Um, Jersey's been no different. Um, our government are obviously separate to the UK government and, and we make decisions on Ireland um, that are obviously different. Um, we let things run a little bit and during the course of the early summer here, uh, we actually had the highest number of COVID cases in the British Isles. Good Lord, um, really? Oh. 
Yeah, so so that that obviously had lots of ramifications. Um, again, a preseason tournament we had was 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 going to occur, um, which again that's another topic to talk about um, later. Um, so we, we were actually under crowd restrictions, um, and we limited the capacity of the stadium to fifty percent. Um, and we sold out. Uh, we had to make it all ticket for the first time for COVID to prevent queuing. Uh, we didn't open our club shop to again to prevent queuing. We had to rent various parts of the stadium because the stadium isn't owned by the football club. It's a government uh, facility. So we put a supporters lunch on in the sports hall. We we had a hospitality lunch in in, in another room. Uh, and obviously the, there's a cafe and bar there, which that's a separate concession run by a private company. Um, they were limited to have people in. So it was a real difficult day. Um, yeah. But logistically, we had plenty of stewards and, and a lot of support from our volunteers. And um, yeah, to get 970 uh five people through the door, um, you know, to have our sort of uh, ultras, if you like, uh, banging the drums, beeping the horns and, and all of that. It was just an amazing occasion, um, not just for the football club, but for the island of Jersey and, and the local football community. Ah, mm, the first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com. It's strange, isn't it? It seems counterintuitive. You'd think an island would be able to control covid better than that wouldn't you really but that's for a different podcast and it's brilliant that it, it happened and so if you had 975 people you basically scored one goal for almost every 100 people in there so it was 10-1 in the end wasn't it it was 10-1 and I really I really felt for the opposition it was like everything that could go wrong for them did go wrong for them um you know they lost three players in the first half to injury oh, um, quite right. And then in the second half, um, it was you know it was it was four four one with seventy two minutes gone, and their keeper accidentally handled it outside the area. There was no oh, striker right. near him, and uh, you know letter of the law means it should be a red card. Um, so we we scored the resulting free kick against an outfield goalkeeper, and result that you know we ended up scoring another five in the last sort of eighteen minutes on top of that to compound it. So I did really feel for Horsham uh, YMCA, and um, yeah, it's it was one of those days when everything went right for the Jersey Bulls. Yeah, but well, I suppose they had the consolation of being on a beautiful island for a couple of hours anyway. But in, in the next round, you're away to New Haven, but you've decided between you that there will be no replay. Why is that? Um, so basically, if there was a draw after 90 minutes, uh, the replay, because of the close proximity of um, matches in the FA Cup in, in the qualifiers, they're, they're literally played every fortnight. Um, we would have to have a replay on the island either Tuesday, Wednesday or Thursday of the following week. So there's no time really to get a replay in. Now, the problem we've got with Jersey, as I mentioned about COVID earlier, Kevin, is if these guys were to fly over on a Tuesday night, they would have to actually stay over in a hotel. Um, And if they're double vaccinated, our rules are if you're double vaccinated, you can come into the island, but we will give you a PCR test on on landing. And you'll get your results, anything between, I don't know, six to 12 hours. Now, if you were to test positive, and we all know you can test positive, even if you are double jabbed and you might not have any symptoms, if you do test positive, you won't be going on the plane home. You'll be in Jersey. Um, I'm not going to say it's a sunny island. I know you don't like the sun. It's a beautiful <laughs> island. Yes. Uh, and you'll be here for 10 days. And I don't know if your partner or your work would have something to say about that. So 
that was the same with Horsham on Saturday, that the guys were desperate to enjoy the island life and, and, and have a night out in St. Helier, which is a great night out. Um, but because of COVID restrictions, nightclubs aren't open here yet. That's coming soon. And also, I explained that rule about having to be here for 10 days. So mm. we, we, we said we can only really play on Saturdays, get the teams in and out in the day to, to, to run the risk of not having anyone having to isolate on our beautiful island. This is a, a really interesting insight, Ian, because we all know we've been talking about COVID restrictions for a year, but this is the first time we've actually spoken to somebody who runs a club about the actual details of how difficult it's making life. And I, I suppose as well, the, 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 the question everybody tweeted to ask us when we spoke about Jersey Bulls on the last pod was about the cost of away travel. So New Haven not flying over for an away game will save you about £4,000 a game, I believe. Is that how much it costs you to travel, cover travel costs for the away team? Was that was that part of the deal of allowing you to become the first Jersey club to join the English Pyramid? Was that part of the deal that you covered the transport costs for every home game? Yes, it's the same for all the island clubs. We've got Guernsey FC who play in the Ishmin League and we've got um, FC Isle of Man who play up in the Northwest County. So that's that's the rules that we have to abide by at the moment um, to pay all the visiting expenses uh, and referees to come into our islands to, uh, you know, to participate in the league, the National League system. Um, we do hope one day that that will fall away because naturally, you know, probably the first, the highest national league that we can get to is, um, or, or sorry, the, the lowest national league we can get to is the step one national league. Um, you know, if we look at last season, Hartlepool would have travelled to, to Torquay and vice versa. Yeah. Now that's a longer trip than Jersey to Gatwick. So, so for that reason, you know, Hartlepool don't pay Torquay's expenses and vice versa. So we're hoping if, you know, any of the island clubs do get to that level, then that may may fall away in the future. But that's a conversation for a few years' time. Um, but certainly we do pay the travel expenses. Um, we have a, uh, an arrangement whereby if you can fly in and out in the day, then that's acceptable. But naturally, in the winter months in Jersey, we don't have as many flights coming in and out, so therefore it's it. You have to stay overnight uh, in the island, so therefore would pay for the hotel accommodation. So it all depends on your fixtures, on whether you're you know early in the season when there's lots of flights and you can get in and out of the day, uh, or, or whether it, you, you cannot. So if you're spending around four thousand pound a game to bring the away team to your matches, is that leaving you with any profit after match day expenses, etc.? Um, very, very little for home games. Um, so if, if, if I can put it another way, um, I was speaking to a chairman of an EF, EFL club and he was saying his expenses could be anything between sort of 40 and 50 K for a season as a three times that. Um, and we're obviously playing in division nine of the, the English football pyramid, if you like. So FA competitions, whilst, um, Kieran mentioned the prize money on the last pod, um, that is obviously gratefully received. Um, but it, it only goes a small way to, to helping us sort of balance the books. So what happens in FA competitions, we have to pay for the visiting side to come over, the officials to come over. We hire our our stadium. Again, we've subsequently rented additional rooms within the facilities to, mm. to help our fans have a, an enjoyable match day experience whilst not taking any of the secondary revenue on a bar, which is obviously uh, you know a real killer at our level. Yeah, of course. Um, so... The great thing is the FA actually changed the rules for offshore clubs this year. So we're actually now able to claim back uh, 75% of the travel costs. Um, and then we have to sh- share the gates after after that. So we'll be paying um, Horsham YMCA, 
uh, an amount of money. Um, but in, in previous years, it would have been a lot, a lot more punchy and we would have made a significant loss of entering an FA uh, competition such as the VARS or, or the FA Cup. So we're delighted they've changed that. Um, hopefully that will be enough to spur Guernsey on to come back into the competitions next mm. year because financially it's just not, not, not worth it for offshore clubs. As we said, you're the first Jersey club to be allowed to join the English pyramid. Was the French pyramid ever an option? Because, I mean, travel-wise, that would seem to make more sense, wouldn't it? Uh, logistically, yes. Uh, we're 14 miles from France, and you can visually see France from our north and, and, and west coast, um, sorry, east coast. Um, but I think someone's looked at it in the past. It was never something that um, sort of excited me in terms of, you know, being a sort of football romantic and, you know, the the... the the pyramid in England, you know, you've just got so many different ceilings and, you know, we're never going to get to the ceiling at the top of the ceiling. We're, we're, we're realistic. And, and, but, you know, the opportunities to play in some of those competitions I just mentioned, the FA Vars, the FA Cup, um, you know, can you, can you go through a couple of rounds and, and, and create history or, or, or amazing memories, which football does for people by, by great, getting a great tie. So, so that's the romance of the cup. And, you know, the English route was the only one in, in, in sort of my eyes. I do think people have possibly looked at France in the past. I know the local rugby club who are fully professional. Um, admittedly, there's no Jerseymen playing in that team. And we are all full of, of Jersey born and schooled lads um, have, have looked at the French option because I think their franchise system is quite attractive. But, um, you know, we're fully committed to England and, and you know, uh, thoroughly enjoying the ride. And it's been a great ride. Um, apart from this uh, this virus that's come along and, and, and took the stuffing out of everybody. But, but Kieran, as um, we've talked about the pyramid a lot, th- there will be money to be made for the Jersey Bulls because as they rise through the leagues, as they inevitably will because they're a good side, they're going to become the must-go-to away game, aren't they, for, for just about every club, essentially. So that they're going to be getting a 1,000 people away fans on the island when all this is over, and that that's going to be a substantial boost to revenue, isn't it? I, th- I think there's certainly potential there. You know, as 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 a ground hopper myself, you know, it w- it would be a it would be a, you know a great weekend. And also, it's 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 uh, for some clubs they'll think this is the nearest we're ever going to get to playing overseas. So you know that that will attract fans as well. Uh, having said that, you know, as, as Ian's intimated, it's uh, it, it's an expensive business running a club. So anything which can bring in additional revenues has got to be uh, has got to be applauded. It's a bone of contention, Ian, that um, Kieran's been to more grounds than I have, but it's only because Brighton have been in more leagues than Palace have, <laughs> to be perfectly honest. If, they, if they'd managed to stay in the top two divisions for the most of their career, they'd be a far fewer grounds. Tell us about football on the island in, in general, Ian. How many other clubs are there? You, you're attracting that huge number, 976, which is only half. So you're getting 1,500 people in, which is a good crowd out. How does it work? As you, I was going to ask you about the, the, the players. You're obviously amateur and all the players are local, which is a good thing as well. Yeah, absolutely. We've got a really good football ecosystem on, on the island, Kevin. Um, we must have now around about 20 clubs. I'm, I'm estimating. 20? Yes. Wow. And what's the population of the island? It's about 105,000, So that's a lot of clubs for, well, that's brilliant. Sports a massive part of island life, and uh, you know we're we're very blessed with um, you know lots of uh, quality on the island from from sort of coaches through to through to players, and a lot of our players in in a variety of sports have gone on to to you know do great things professionally at a variety of. Uh, 
sports. Obviously, Graham Lasso would be the most famous footballer that we yeah. can mention. Yeah. Um, Serena Guthrie in the uh, in, 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 in netball, and we've got you know lads that have gone on to do pro cricket and, and, and rugby and so on and so forth. So, so no, we're we're, we're very lucky, um, and we do generate players. Um, and again, just sort of hopping around. This is that's another area where you know. In the past, on the pod, you've talked about academies and how players, uh, you know, get signed from other clubs, and, and the smaller club gets remunerated. We don't have that opportunity at the moment because we don't have a, an academy per se. So there are other things in the future that's, that hopefully the Bulls can benefit because we've got four lads currently with uh, uh, EFL clubs um, in academies in the UK, which has meant the families have had to move to the mainland um, for them to hopefully uh, make it make make their careers. But going back. Back to the local clubs, as I say, the ecosystem here is fantastic. Around mm. about 20 clubs. Um, when we uh, presented our case study of, of creating the football club to the local football association, um, I think there's been an increase of maybe 20% of new clubs since that day because there was some argument, oh, wouldn't we damage the local football scene? Yeah. In terms of quality, yes, we probably have a little bit because, as you can imagine, the best players want to further their opportunities and, and play within the pyramid. So some of the top players are obviously now playing for, for us and some, there's some very good players that don't because you know it could be family or work commitments that they can't commit to the travel. So the league is still still good. It's becoming, um, and it will be very competitive this season, which is, which is great for the neutral. Um, and all of these clubs, um, I'd say about 70% of them have their own grounds. Um, and again, they've got multiple teams, one side over here, um, have, have got in excess of 20 teams, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. So that we do everything from walking football to, to, you know, under sixes. So it's a very, it's a very good footballing scene. Um, and, you know, this, this is where the Bulls are very fortunate that we can tap into the local clubs. If they've got players that are developing, you know, we can bring promising youngsters through into, into our system and, and help get them spotted. Oh, and also you talking about walking football, uh, football for youngsters. It's yet another example of a club, at the heart of its community, doing good for the community. It's not just bringing football to the area. It's bringing fitness. It's bringing mental well-being. It's bringing sociability. So any any football club can only be an asset to its area. I I always proclaim. I totally agree. Now we we obviously formed a, a company back in 2018, and the club was launched in 2019. And all we've managed to do so far, and I say all, I'm quite harsh on, us, on myself and ourselves, mm. is, is is launch a football club that, that costs around about £300,000 a year to run and no one gets paid. We're all volunteers. So so that was a, it's a huge undertaking to do that. Um, as I mentioned before, we've got a lot of revenue streams that aren't open to us right now. Um, you know, we want to change that in the future. Um, so currently, the way we survive financially is via sponsorships, fundraising, our gate receipts and merchandise sales. So that's that's the only ones that we've got open to us at the moment, but there's lots of other ways which we want to through time. Now, COVID, as I say, it's it's affected everybody. And if COVID didn't come along, then I genuinely would have felt we probably would have uh, employed an administrator at this by, by now. And the administrator oh, wow, really? could have locked, you know, taken the burden away from the board and the executive committee that run the club on a day-to-day basis uh, and helped, you know, helped us grow in other areas. So again, we're very keen. You mentioned community at the moment. Um, we do have a community program. We have a schools program, which is great, whereby a local primary school will come for free to the game. Um, they're the match day mascots. They play on the pitch at halftime. Um, and, you know, we go in and do assemblies. We talk about, you know, well-being. We talk about sport. We talk about football. We talk about the Bulls and then invite the kids along. And that's been extremely popular. But Obviously, sadly, the kids haven't been. And because of COVID, we didn't do the kids on on, on Saturday. Um, but hopefully our next home game 
um, unless we get an FA Cup tie, uh, is the 18th of September, whereby we won't have any restrictions, hopefully, in Jersey and the children will come back as matchday mascots, which is great. So the community is a huge part of our growth plans. And that is something that we we really want to do and, and, and embrace that. So for an example, um, last week, Southampton Football Club were over doing a uh, weekly holiday school. But that's something, you know, that's our patch. We would love to do that in the future. And, yeah, you know, course. not to say to a Premier League club, sorry, you can't come, but we can certainly offer that on our, our own patch in the future. So there's lots of lots of promising um, ideas that the club have got in the future. And uh, as I say, once we can get some more certainty into our lives, um, then we'll be able to kick on and, and, and really grow the club. Kieran, it's amazing to think, both with your accountant's hat on and with your football fan hat on, that Jersey Bulls, doing all this for the community, for football, and not one single person on or off the pitch is actually being paid for it. They're all volunteers. That's a remarkable effort, isn't it? It's sensational. And I I think it does restore faith. I've spent most of the last week in TV and radio studios talking about £100 million transfers and Mm. crazy money being spent on Lionel Messi's wages. And and this makes... This is so much more grounded and, and this is actually why we fell in love with football because we all started off with with you know with park football and things like that and it's uh, it's inspiring yeah that airplane noise you can hear in the background is a guy flying over just to check that we're doing things properly Ian <laughs> UEFA and FIFA rejected the Jersey FA's application to join um, for reasons um, we've yet to fully ascertain. Uh, is that an ambition that you would hope to revive in the future? Um, personally, I'd like to see that happen. Um, that would be the the conversation with the Jersey Football Associations. We're obviously a, a, a we're, we're an affiliated club to the association. Mm. Now, I remember being back at back at school, and we I think Kieran mentioned a tournament that the islands play in called the the Island oh, Games. That was my next question. Yeah. Yeah, and I remember back in the nineties, we played uh, the Faroe Islands in 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 one of the games, and we lost four three. So as you can see there, you know we were on the sort of sort of same sort of you know ability trajectory. Um, but after that tournament, that was their last tournament, and they went on to join UEFA and subsequently FIFA. Um, you know, a couple of years in, they they beat Austria, and you know a lot of people, uh, myself included, thought that could have been us. Mm. Now, Gibraltar were the last ones to sort of make it in from the sort of um, offshore islands, so to speak. Um, but again, they did it before um, UEFA closed the loophole. Um, now, again, um, I'm, a, I'm a pub lawyer like you, so I don't know the the, 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 <laughs> the terminology here, but we, we took it to as far as we could and we went to, um, we managed to get a vote. And again, going back to what, what Kieran mentioned so much is self-interest. And if you imagine your 50 odd members of UEFA and you're sharing a pie of X and you have to share it one more person, you're going to say mm. no. And that's exactly what the UEFA members did. Now, you're absolutely right. I think um, you mentioned on the pod on Monday that we are bigger than Pharaohs, Liechtenstein, yeah. Andorra, San Marino, and we absolutely are. Um, and you know we've 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 kind of pretty much beaten San Marino before. Um, so as I say, personally, I'd love to see the island of Jersey uh, continue and do that. And I think it would complement Jersey Bulls Football Club. And I also think it'd be great for the island. And you know, there's a lot more money in UEFA, um, and that would boost the local games as uh, the local league as well by by pumping in revenue into there. Does Jersey Bulls FC see that? We wouldn't see it directly. 
um, but indirectly, we'd hope to benefit. You know, that whether that's be better better facilities in the island. And I think just for for the listeners, just to explain how effectively that would work, if you imagine Wales, for example, the Welsh national side, um, that would effectively be the Jersey national side. Swansea and Cardiff would effectively be Jersey Bulls football club playing in England, but are from mm. Wales stroke Jersey, and then the local clubs. Um, in Wales will be playing in the Welsh Premier League and we would have our Jersey Premier League and that's how it would work if you were the champions of Wales or champions of Jersey you would go into those Champions League qualifiers it wouldn't affect Jersey Bulls we would not be in in, in Europe um, so to speak uh, I went to see Liechtenstein play Latvia um, in the Euro qualifier long story you don't need to know the circumstances but if if Liechtenstein I mean they, they literally it was like watching a, a Sunday football game and, and you kind of think if Liechtenstein and it's a lovely place but if they're in UEFA, there's no earthly reason why Jersey shouldn't be. Having said that, everything I've seen and read about the Ireland games make them sound like a lot of fun to take part in. They, they were due to be in Guernsey, weren't they? But um, again, COVID has stepped in. Yes, that's that's right. Um, a lot of our players have participated in Ireland games, and it's 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 literally a week of um, week of sport. Um, basically uh you know they are a lot of fun but what you do have to do is play an awful lot of football in a short period of time so you could have five consecutive days of matches so um you know it's important that you've got a big and quality squad to 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 be able to do that but i've not been to an island games um but a lot of my you know a lot of my friends have and you know they're great occasions you you're a very new club and you won i think it was, was it your first 36 games you won Yes, that's is correct. That right? Yeah. So realistically, and I know this is a really boring question that everybody will ask you, how far up the pyramid do you think you can go? It's a great question. Uh, it's a question, you're right, we do get asked a lot. And again, you've got the you know, the sensible hat will just say you would take it one game at a time, all that sort of that sort of stuff. But genuinely, we have ambitions, Kevin, to, to go as high as we possibly can. The ultimate dream is for Jersey to have a professional football club, just like we've got a professional rugby club. Mm. So for, for us, I think the lowest uh, professional club in the system is in step three. Um, there's a handful in step two and obviously the majority in step one are professional. So somewhere between step one and two, we could maybe uh, fulfill those dreams of being a professional club. That doesn't mean or, that we're going to get there. The league is very, very competitive. Um, yeah. And, you know, that would. So, so to answer your question, the ultimate goal is to become a professional football club. It's been brilliant to talk to you. Um, and one of the joys of this pod is that we've been able to follow stories as they unfold. And yours is one of the rare good news stories um, that we've covered. And I hope we carry on covering that. It's And we wish you nothing but goodwill for your future. You've got a really cool, you've got a cool name. You've got a really cool kit as well. But I meant to mention that. Tell listeners about your cool kit because that's merchandising wise. That's something you should be really pushing because it's a great kit. Thank you. Yes, absolutely. The um, The kits, again, I think you were talking about kits on Monday night. All of our kits are actually bespoke. So- oh, wow. So basically, yeah, the, the, the home kit was um, uh, designed um, by our, by our um, kit partners, our technical partners. And then we, as a, as a, as a board, chose our, our favourites. And it wasn't my choice because it resembles a little bit of a, a 80s Liverpool home kit um, or even a, a bit of a Nottingham Forest uh, kit as well. So um, my, my choice wasn't chosen. So it was nothing to do with me, that one. But, you know, it's a great kit and it was great seeing it in front of our home fans on Saturday. Our away kit, again... Um, what we do, part of our commercial terms, is our main sponsor gets to brand the away kit in their corporate colours. 
So um, our our new sponsor, uh, Shuffle Capital, are black and white. So they basically had had the choice. And again, um, Kappa decided, um, you know, these are the different designs. um, And we went with sort of a black and white half. Um, although that was a little bit troublesome down at Beckenham the other week when the referee turned up in all black and if you, we, we stand side on, we're all black. So that was a bit, <laughs> bit, bit, of, a, bit of a difficult one. Um, and then our third kit obviously can't be uh, red or black or white. So um, and it, it, it's worked out fantastic that our gold, our gold sponsor, Butterfield Bank, are actually branded in blue. So therefore, they got to um, have the, the blue corporate colours for their third kit. And what they did was really nice touch was they used the community to actually vote for one of four kits. And uh, this one's sort of blue with a bit of salmon. And it looks a really nice kit, actually. So, um, yeah, the kits kits are really popular. Uh, we sell them all online um, and at the games when when it's, it's obviously possible to do so. So if any listeners out there want a, an alternative shirt, I must warn you, buy a size up because they do come up a bit extra tight uh, hugging that's that Italian manufacturer in them. Uh, trust me, Ian, most of our listeners know to buy a size up uh, <laughs> on, on everything they buy. I've got one last question for you, Ian, and I, I think I can guess the answer to this already. Are you having fun? <laughs> um, look, it's it's immense fun. However, um, over the summer, we, we had a, a, a tremendous game programme. We had FC United of Manchester, you know, a fan-owned club coming to Jersey. We had Cray Wanderers down in Kent, again, an ambitious club down there. Hashtag United, again, really popular in the non-league scene. Kettering Town, who've got great history. And all of that got wiped away from us. Yeah. So when you've planned a tournament um, such as we planned, um, sold over a thousand tickets um, for the tournament, uh, organised for TV coverage to do global global streaming of, of the event, and then that gets taken away from you, that's when it doesn't become fun. Ooh. But we hope we hope the worst the worst is over. The vaccination process is 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 improving all the time, and hopefully hopefully uh, yeah, the fun and the smiles will be here all the time. Brilliant. It's been lovely to talk to you, and Thank you so much. Thanks, gents. All the best. I'm slightly concerned, Kieran. It turns out it wasn't even a real sheriff that told me, <laughs> that told me my hedge was overhanging. Some bloke just obviously said to his wife, oh, there's some English people in the street. That's not how they talk, obviously. And his wife... <laughs> His wife's gone on, oh, for God's sake, Peter, not not doing the fake sheriff act again, are you? <laughs> um, but I I felt I thought that was a really interesting interview, Kieran, and it was really good to get uh, such a detailed personal account of how COVID has affected a club playing at that level. But Ian, Ian was too nice to say this on air, but the Jersey Bulls are doing this thing without any help whatsoever from the Jersey Tourist Board, which seems to be an incredible own goal by the Jersey Tourist Board and just also highlights what a fantastic job this club have done to establish themselves already without any real financial help other than from sponsors towards their goal. Yeah, I I, I agree with you totally. I mean, uh, yeah, if, 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 if Jersey does have a certain genteel reputation and perhaps the people on the Tourist Board feel that yeah that their perception of football it, it perhaps goes back to the 70s and 80s yeah, and, possibly, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and and that we are scallywags and ruffians mm. um but but it's not you know f- f- football is is global um and i really think that they should they, they should reconsider because uh yeah it, it's a chance 
it's, it's a chance to get Jersey on the map. The very fact that we're having this discussion, you know, this, this show is going to be listened to by, you know, we know we've got, we got tens of thousands of listeners. Yeah. Um, and and, it, and the people are going, well, yeah, that, that, is, that is an alternative. Um, and also, I, I had a chat with, uh, with, with Ian, you know, uh, after the interview took place. And I said, yeah, okay, and, and how are things between you and Guernsey? And he says, well, yeah, if, if you think Brighton and Palace don't like each other, <laughs> whoa, well, Vickers Tea Party, Vickers Tea Party by all accounts. <laughs> Do you know what? I didn't, I, I, I wish I'd asked that question now, but I, it was the first question that came into my head when I sat down to write the question. But I thought, no, that's, that's too obvious. Everybody's going to ask him that. How are things between you and Guernsey? Well, poor old Sark and all the other ones <laughs> look, on, look on in the background, wish saying, I wish we could have cars. But, um, oh, damn, I wish I'd, I wish I'd asked that question now. But I, I think also we mentioned this in the interview, the fact that, and there are so many clubs run on a similar basis, that the fact that, that these clubs are run by volunteers needs to be, our, our government, you know, everybody needs to know that so many clubs are being run by volunteers, that so many clubs are struggling on a shoestring to get through life without any particular help from local authorities, governments. And it's, it's astonishing. And it, 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 like you say, it does your heart proud to think that all this is done on a voluntary basis and done so professionally as well. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, as you, yeah, you were talking about the kits, I, I, I went onto the website and I like one of the kits so much I've already ordered one. Yeah, and, and they, are, they are absolute crackers. I, I'm pleased you said that because I had a five pound bet with Ali. I said I, I, I guarantee because she just said to me, "Don't you dare! You've got enough football kits." I, was, I haven't got a jersey one. Uh, I knew I knew you'd. I knew there'd be a picture of you in social media wearing another team's shirt. Um, uh, thank you to everybody who listens. As Kieran mentioned, there are tens of thousands of you all over the world. If you would like to make a small monthly contribution to our always free-to-air pod, then please go to patreon.com forward slash price of football. If you have any questions for our questions pod on Monday, please email questions at priceoffootball.com and I shall hand you over to Mr. Kieran Maguire for his customary farewell. Well, once again, folks, uh, thanks very much for the feedback. Uh, thanks for uh, putting me to rights when I get it wrong. And, and apologies to the whole of Exeter, the city <laughs> and the town, because uh, I know I'm going to get some grief for that. Um, if, if, if you do, do you do like the show, uh, if you could go to that that big purple icon for Apple Podcasts and give us five stars, doesn't doesn't matter what you write. And in fact, uh, clearly a lot of you have taken that on board. Uh, you know, comments like "amortize this" or "utter rubbish." Five stars. Uh, yeah, well, that's fine. What you write is fine. It's the five stars that help us uh, in the charts. Uh, you know, uh, you know the fact that the Ian. Uh, immediately got in contact with us, and Ian, by all account, in fact, I thought Ian seemed to know more about the show than we do. Yes, he um, did. Which, which, was, which, was, which was very worrying. Yeah. Um, it, it, it does. It just it just adds to our credibility uh, for when when producer guy is trying to get in contact and, and book people. They they look at the charts and the the five star reviews help us in the charts. So um, you know, and remember, the show's always free, and we are completely committed to that for for well for as long as myself and Kevin. Uh, are connected to it. You know, clearly Swiss Ramble and Michael McIntyre might have other <laughs> ideas, uh, but yeah. that's 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 for another that's for another way, another Indeed. day. Uh, and thank you for telling me how to start a fight in an accountant's pub just by going amortize this. <laughs> it's the best. It's the best threat I've ever heard. <laughs> uh, so bye, everybody. Bye. <laughs>
Hello, I'm Mark Chapman. This is what we've got planned for you across the Athletic Podcast Network this season. The Ornstein and Chapman podcast has been rebranded as the Athletic Football Podcast. We'll release four episodes across the week as our journalists bring you the very best insight into the biggest stories in football and the business of sport. Michael Cox will continue to bring you the smartest analysis of all the big games in the Athletic Football Tactics podcast. Adam Hurry will now host two episodes of the Football Clichés podcast every single week with his usual take on the game. There's a brand new Athletic FPL podcast with our fantasy football expert, the FPL General, giving you all the advice you need to stay ahead of your mates and top of the FPL rankings. And the Athletic Podcast Network is also home now to host of club-specific shows, some of which are going to be releasing multiple episodes every week. And we're now your destination, don't forget, for the Totally Football Show with James Richardson and the Totally Football League Show. And that is it. We can't fit any more in. All you've got to do is search for The Athletic in your podcast provider of choice or go to our podcast section on The Athletic app. Not surprisingly, with all of the stuff that I've just mentioned, The Athletic is now the world's biggest football podcast network.